enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. We invite you to explore these truths with us each week. I'd like to read for you today from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We have been going through uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. This is his second letter, a uh, word of encouragement for them uh, after uh, uh, the correspondence what happened afterwards. But to chapter 3. Verse 1 following says, Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us so that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified everywhere, just as it is among you, that we may be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will go on doing the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness, not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we don't have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Take note of those who do not obey what we say in this letter. Have nothing to do with them so that they may be ashamed. Do not regard them as enemies, but warn them as believers. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and all ways. The Lord be with all of you. I Paul, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the mark in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. We, we have, over the last uh, few weeks, been going through this letter. And, and going at it in kind of a particular way, we started uh, just around uh, All Saints Day as, as, a, as a day of remembrance. And so we, we focused on him talking about, hey, remember those who have gone before, and it's good to do that. Uh, last week, we, we looked at chapter 2, and we focused on, on uh, recognizing that God's promise has present-day implications and that, that it is very possible that uh, all His warnings for them is, is to look at what's happening around you today and be faithful, and God cares about our present. And, and today, of course, we're going to have an eye out for the future. But throughout this letter, Paul's constantly looking back and forth. To, to just say one chapter is focusing on one is, is kind of messy. He, he's back and forth all the time, always reminding us to look forward to where God is leading, to what God is doing. And so when he begins by saying, hey, don't forget the faithfulness you've seen, the saints of the past, and and how how we have worked in this church and how God has moved before. He says, don't forget that. Okay, okay. And be strong and be faithful despite whatever's going around you, despite whoever might be living as the lawless one among you right now. Okay, okay, we'll do that. Well, what can we do? In chapter 3, he says this, I want you to pray. 
I want you to pray. And prayer, when actually engaged in, and not just said, you know, I'll pray for you, and then, you know, we go on doing with whatever else was keeping us busy. When we actually engage in prayer, prayer is a positive act calling for action from God, but also putting ourselves before God, saying, okay, God, how do you want me to respond to what's going on? Prayer is indeed an activity in which we are living forth the faithfulness of those before us and asking for God to help us to be faithful today, all while looking forward to where God is going to lead us. Prayer is active. And he asks them, I want you to pray and engage in prayer. We need this because the word of the Lord is spreading. People are going to need to be discipled. And there's going to be hardship along the way. And they're going to need to be lifted up in prayer. And he says, church, you can help me in this. It is important for us to be engaged in prayer for these kinds of things. In fact, he says, I want you to pray for deliverance from evil. Well, interesting enough, we make that as a part of our prayer every single week. We learn that from Jesus when he said, hey, this then is how you should pray. And we end up praying, Lord, deliver us from evil. And so he says, I'm going to ask you to pray for protection. Uh, That you'd be rescued from wicked and evil people. Uh, Because not everyone's going to live according to the way God's called to live. They don't all believe. In fact, he says, I want you to ask for you to be strengthened and to guard you from the evil one. And now when I read this, I found myself thinking, okay, who does he mean by the evil one? Now, generally speaking, there's one evil one who we know. In fact, he talked about the works of Satan just a little bit in one brief moment in chapter 2. And of course, Satan is, is that power at work in the world that turns us away from God, that tempts us to continue to live in sin rather than live by the power of the Spirit. It, it, it is, that, it is that, that evil at work that says, you don't need God, and does God really need you? It, it, it's, that, it's, that, it's those doubts and those fears and those, uh, those, those feelings of, I can't do it, and I can't be faithful anymore, or, or I'm just not able. It is, it is every temptation to say, I'm going to go back to what I was doing and stop following after God. That is, St. Work says, ask for protection. Because when the gospel is spreading around the world, Satan is at work. That, that was a big reminder for me uh, as I had left from a major kind of like uh, evangelistic kind of a youth event. When I remember one of the words the speaker said to me is, whenever something great happens, temptation is going to follow. So, so, so Paul says, pray for that. Pray for that. And, and maybe that's who he means by the evil one. Maybe it's a generic prayer. Just Continue to be saved from evil. If you've ever looked at uh, the Lord's Prayer in your Bible and found yourself reading it in the Scripture, oh, that's why they say debtors, because that's what's actually in there. And then they say, or if you find yourself saying, oh, there's this little footnote next to evil, and the footnote says it could be the evil one. Um, because the Greek language that this is written in, like most European languages, uh, have articles oftentimes show up before the noun. The article is... In English, the word the, okay? Like, like, that's all it is. And it seems weird. Delivers from the evil. Like, what does that mean? But usually translators have to say, is this a generic term, evil, or do they mean the one who is evil? And so sometimes you get that here. But I found myself also thinking, you know, if this is the evil one, who has he just spent a whole lot of time talking about? 
In chapter 2, last week, what we found is he was talking again and again about the lawless one. About the one who's at work to make things difficult for the church. The the powers that be that just say, hey, we are going to distract you and keep you away from honoring God as the true God and try to get your allegiance anywhere and any place else. That lawless one that sometimes we, we, we imagine as someone in the future, but that lawless one that sometimes we, re- we recognize at work in our world today, wherever anybody directs our attention away from God, wherever our hope for the future is rested and placed in a power other than God, that one becomes the lawless one. And so there's a part of me that wonders if he's saying, you know what? If things are looking terrible, if what Jesus warned in the reading in Luke that Paulie read for us is taking place, and among the Caesars it's about to take place, know this, God will strengthen you and guard you in the midst of that evil one. Today, if we found ourselves, whether here in Maine or if you're watching whatever state you're in after midterms going, "Uh uh-oh, things look terrible, Pray that God will strengthen and guard you. For there is no lawless one that God will not overcome. And so he says, we have faithfulness. We have confidence in this. This is what God will do. And so he says to the church, I want you to continue to do the work of the Lord. I want you to be about the work of the Lord because we make a difference in light of whatever is happening around us. We know that our lives, our faithfulness to God, our work is always in hope and expectation of what God is going to do. If His gospel is going around the world, if the promise of Jesus' salvation, that He will indeed be with us today and will be with us for eternity, is a part of our hope, we want to live that out today in the midst of whatever is going on. And so our activity and our work should always be about that. I want to share... I want to share with you kind of a good story. Um, sometimes I give examples of other churches, and it's kind of like, you know, they're, they're, the, um, they're the, uh, uh, the straw man that I get to knock down. Oh, that's a terrible way of doing things. But I want to give you a good one. I want to give you a good one. I met with a, a few pastors on the district and the DS uh, this week. Uh, Thursday, uh, a, a handful of us gathered together. We had lunch together and got to talk about uh, discipleship. We got to talk a little bit also about some work I do on the district as um, uh, in terms of educating future ministers and things like that. And, uh, but anyway, we were talking, and, and a story was told where someone had a board meeting, and they were talking about uh, someone on the board had said to the pastor, hey, I remember when we did this event, and it was a craft fair. I remember when we did this craft fair uh, last year. That was so good. We need to do that again. And the pastor said, what are you talking about? We didn't do a craft fair last year. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. It was, it was, it was on the counter. It was this day. We did a craft fair. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, we, we opened up the church. We had rented out the church. Someone had asked to do that, and we let them use our space, but the church didn't do the craft fair. And the person, oh, well, we should do that. We should do that. And the pastor said, okay. Now, now if you've been in the church for a while and you've volunteered in the church, you know what often happens when someone says, hey, we should do something? Oftentimes it means, well, someone else should do something. And so, so, so the pastor says to this person, says, well, that's a great idea, but we want someone who's passionate about it and cares about it leading this, because if it's going to go right, it needs to be someone who cares about this. So, I know you care a lot about this. Do you or someone else you know who cares as much about, about it as you do want to lead this? 
And the person goes, oh. <laughs> but then says, well, I could do if I had some help. And then someone else on the board said, um, well, you know what? We have an event we want to send our kids to. We, if we could make part of it a fundraiser for them and, and help them out too, I'll help you out with this. And the person said, great, let's do it. And all of a sudden, now they had a team. The pastor said, okay, now the church is doing a craft fair uh, this year. And, um, and, and, I, and, and so he shared this story uh, with me, and I loved, ha- and I said to him, I said, this is awesome, and there's purpose to it. It's not just, hey, we're doing a craft fair for the sake of doing a craft fair, or just whatever, but like there's a purpose to it. We are helping to engage and uh, minister to our youth. And I found myself saying, this is awesome. The work of the Lord continuing among those who say, hey, passionate about this, and I want to be engaged in it. I don't want to be the person who just says someone else needs to do that. That's who Paul <laughs> is kind of warning about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, there are some of you who are idle or irresponsible, depending on the translation. Literally, there are some among you who are disorderly or being disruptive. Or uh, they're just concerned about everyone else's work. I think, I think we've known people like that before. The people who stay back and they just tell you how you do things wrong. <laughs> they're, they're the ones who always have an opinion about what someone else is doing, but they're not willing to get their hands dirty. And that's happening even in the church. I mean, that, that's I hear the murmurs. Yeah, you guys all know this. You guys have all seen this. Yeah. And, and that's, not, that's nothing new. And, and so, so Paul says, you need to watch out for this. That is not healthy in the church. That is not good for the church. It's not good for Christians or the Christian witness. If indeed, as I've suggested, that one of the challenges of the early church was, was, was presenting themselves before Roman citizens in, in cities and saying, hey, this faith is good news for you. And as much as we declare Jesus as Lord and not Caesar, the, we are still good for you, for the city, and for the world. And this was a part of their message they had to have. But if they're filled with people just saying, ah, someone else do it, someone else do it, they're like, what good are you to our community or to our town if all you're doing is taking advantage of things? So Paul says, your work and everything you do is imperative to the spreading of the gospel. Now, I often heard this story about those who are just being idle and not doing anything as kind of a, uh, a, a way of suggesting that maybe people were refusing to work because they knew Jesus was coming back. And if uh, Jesus is coming back and, you know, really soon, then uh, I don't have to do anything. If you ever asked someone or been a part of a group where someone asks, if you knew today, t- tomorrow was the last day, what would you do? Whatever, the world ends in like two days. What are you going to do? And some people are like, uh-oh, if the world's ends, I've got to take in as much of it as I can. So, you know, I'm going to go deep, deep sea diving or I'm going to go climb mountains or whatever. I'm going to do something big. I'm going to do something glorious. And then you get a couple people who say, well, I'm going to the bank. And I'm taking out the biggest loan I can. Because <laughs> if everything ends, I don't have to pay it back and I'm having the biggest party. Right, right? And uh, that mindset... <laughs> is, oh, I get to use someone else's money because I don't have to pay it back. <laughs> oh, this is great. I get to use other people's resources just, just so I can do whatever I want to do. And, and, and so the way I've always heard this is Paul saying, no, just because you think Jesus is coming back soon is not an excuse for you to say, oh, well, whatever, I'll just, 
I'll just make do until then. I'll just take advantage of whatever resources are available to me or, or whatever and just go on for that. But I think it's something more than that as well. In fact, I, I have to admit, that was my initial take. It was going to be my full kind of thrust of, of how we live towards the future involves present-day work today, that we have to prepare for what Jesus is going to do. We don't just get to sit back. We get to, we get to work to, to be a part of and say, okay, Jesus, you're coming back, but we want to make this, the best it, this, this world the best it can be, and we want to be at work making sure that people are hearing that Jesus is coming back, and that is a part of our gospel, and that is a part of our message, and we do want to be about that. But I found myself thinking that, that the church has always been about taking care of people. It has. It's always been about taking care of the poor. Uh, uh, an old English word for that was almsgiving, right? You're always helping out the widow, the poor, the orphan. In fact, I mean, you find it in the Old Testament rules governing how to do that. It was definitely a part of the, the New Testament church as well. They had all things in common, it says in the book of Acts. But what happens when you have everything in common, when everything's shared, when, when you're causing There's always somebody. There's always somebody who's like, ah... I know how this system works and takes advantage of it. And I think that was happening in the church as well. In fact, um, and so Paul has a concern about that as well. Because the church isn't going to stop being the church. The church isn't going to stop taking care of people where there's needs. If there's an opportunity to help someone, the, the, the church is going to do that. But he doesn't want people just saying, ah, oh, I don't have to do anything because someone's going to take care of me. That is sometimes the stigma associated with receiving help. He doesn't want the church to be a part of that at all. I know that stigma. Uh, experience that stigma. I, re- I remember when uh, we were newly married. and uh, Well, not newly married. We've been married uh, a couple years. And, but uh, our oldest was uh, just born. Now, we moved to Kansas City from Illinois. Uh, when we, when we were apartment hunting, I was going to go to seminary. God had called me into ministry. Okay, I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to go. And I remember we had looked at apartments, and we had gone back. And then, then after we looked at apartments, we realized, oh, we're, expe- we're expecting. We're going to have, we're going to have Eric here. And um, I guess we have to go for this apartment because it will have room for the new baby. And, uh, and, and, we, and, she got, and she had interviewed when we had done that search, and she's working now at headquarters, and this is great, and this is good. And uh, full-time work and insurance because, you know, insurance was hard to find back then. And, and, um, but uh, with, with the birth of this child, like, things were not as they are now with the healthcare marketplace. And so, like, if you start a job and you were pregnant before you started that job and it's not with the same insurance company, you can, you, that's a pre-existing condition. <laughs> if... Um, if Uh, And we also found out, too, that while there were um, allowances for Jen to be home and still have her for a few weeks and then still go back to work afterwards, you know, what we found, though, is uh, the rule for maternity paid leave was you had to have been with that job for a year. And we had just moved there. And so Jen says, Tim, and I was working part-time because I'm going to school full-time, so I'm working in the evenings to try to help make things Make things go. And Jen just says to me, she says, Tim, how are we going to do this? I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And she says, no, Tim. <laughs> do the math. I'm not working anymore. Your income's going to pay for one of two things, rent or food. <laughs> and uh, so uh, and uh, we, we need both to live. And so she said, you need to go 
to the city office and you need to ask for help. And so I remember going. I remember going, and, and, and I didn't like that, because I know the stigma. I'd always heard from There's always people who are taking advantage of the system. Always people taking advantage of the system. And I was like, everyone's going to think I'm taking advantage of the system. And so I go, and I, and I ask them, you know, food stamps, that kind of thing. And so, so I go, and I ask them, and I, and I tell them my story and, and stuff. And so they get all the documents that they need for that, and they get us set up. And then she says the craziest thing to me. She says, oh, you said she just... Had a baby? I said, yeah, she just had a baby. Like, I went there, like, the day after Eric was born. And um, she says, oh, so you probably have some hospital bills, too, right? And I said, well, yeah. And she says, well, there, you can be, because of your income and where you fall, you can get some state assistance for that as well. And, that, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. And that was amazing, because a hospital bill that was tens of thousands became a few hundred and all of a sudden, I was very thankful for the ways in which there were allowances made. But without a doubt, I, there was all kinds of weird guilt for a long time as well, because I had heard a lot again and again and again of people who take advantage, people who take advantage. I'm like, man, am I someone who takes advantage of? And you know what? To tell you the truth, we didn't stay in Missouri very long. I never became a homeowner there. There's no way they got enough back from me in sales tax, property tax. But yet, nonetheless, I am thankful for those services that were offered when, at a time when I could not provide and in a time when it was not possible for me to do that and still be faithful to the direction that God was leading. Oh yeah, could, we could have totally left... Uh, uh, my schooling could have totally like done something else and tried to struggle through it, probably filed for bankruptcy, probably you know, like, like just totally just ruined our, our, uh, our prospective future. But yet in that moment, um, found that it is indeed healthy and helpful to have outs when that is necessary. And the church has always been about that. And so when Paul speaks to the Thessalonians, about those who are idle, it's because he doesn't want that to stop. The only thing he wants to stop, he, he doesn't want the giving of the church to stop, the taking care of those in need to stop. What he wants is to make sure there is no one taking advantage of the system. So Paul's warning is that one that calls on people not take advantage of grace given, the grace given by the church, and the grace, of course, which is congruent with all his other writings, given by God. That we are not the kind of people who say, oh, if God's gracious, well, I can just continue to do what I want. Well, if the church is gracious, well, then I don't have to do anything. Paul says it doesn't work that way. There's, there's actually a, a guy in the area I met. He lives here uh, in New England, and uh, I, uh, he lives in this county, I believe, still. But anyway, I saw him. Uh, he was a serviceman taking care of something for me, and I saw he had a tattoo. And uh, it was where I was like, wait, what is that tattoo? It said, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. And I said, remind me what that one is again? And he says, yeah, that one is, whoever doesn't work doesn't get to eat. I said, now that's an interesting tattoo. Who puts that tattoo on there? I'm like, there's all kinds. I've seen that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've seen the cross. I've seen all kinds of, but not whoever doesn't work doesn't eat. I'm like, now that's an interesting tattoo. 
And he's talking to me, he just basically said, I needed this daily reminder. <laughs> I'm like, that's amazing. And it wasn't like, and the way he was, he was telling his story, it wasn't like a judgmental of like, oh, I'm just looking out for all those people I see aren't worth. It was like, no, I need this. Like, like uh, to, to, every day to remind myself, this is, this is who I am. I'm someone who is uh, called to be engaged in my world and in my work. This is what God wants me to do. And I just, I just found that amazing that he looked at that verse and didn't see that as a way of, oh, what about those people? But saw that as a way of, what about me? And that call, where even Paul says, hey, those who don't work don't get to eat, it is a call to address sin and unhealthiness that exists in their community. And he says, because everything we are supposed to be about, if the gospel is indeed going to spread around the world, is that all of our work has to be about, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of, 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 of a society that sometimes is difficult on the church, he says, has to be about sharing and spreading the gospel. We have to recognize that there's purpose to the work that we do. There, there, there's purpose to everything that we are about, that the gifts and graces God has given us, the talents that we have acquired, the skills that we have mastered over the years, God is able to use that. And even if in the regular mundane work of it, there's opportunity sometimes in that for us to live and work and engage with truthfulness, graciousness, with faithfulness to God and to our neighbor. And the way he says, hey, the way we're going to address this and deal with this in the church is you're not going to treat them as enemies. Yeah, there's going to be whatever strategy necessary, shunning or whatever it is that they're doing there, that uh, you're, you're, you're going to make sure that uh, they know this isn't wrong. But he says you're going to regard them as believers, as brothers and sisters, as family, not as enemies. The hope is always redemption. And so I found myself wondering about the, the gentleman I found with that tattoo. I found myself thinking that he would put that down on his arm. Who helped him out when he needed it the most? That he would say, yeah, this verse actually identifies for me and I need this one. Our work is always prepping for the work of God. It's always about, okay, God, how are you going to use me today? in the field you have, that perhaps indeed it does become and is recognized as a mission field where God has put us today. Imagine uh, that what we do and what we're about in our life helps people to recognize that God's grace and God's gospel and His salvation is for them and that we get to be a part of that because everything that we are about is an anticipation of what God is going to do and the promise and the future that He has. And so this season, at this time, I find myself thinking, yeah, we're going to, be, we're going to spend some time this week being reflectful, looking to the past, being thankful for what we have around us now. We're going to be engaged in food practices and cooking practices and meals that are traditional that we have passed down for generations. There's going to be a lot of reflection. But we also know that when we are gathered together, we're building up our family for setting them up for whatever's going to happen in the future, maybe even creating new habits and new traditions. And so in the same way, too, our faith is lived out, reflecting on where we have come from, the people who have influenced us, but also fully recognizing that what happens today matters for the future 
It makes a difference that sometimes we can't even see or imagine. I think one of the greatest temptations of the evil one is that, is what you're doing really making a difference? Is what you're doing really mattering? And I want to say to you today that in the faithfulness is most often exemplified not in a spectacular moment, but in the regularity of life. And that sometimes the engagement of our work and the activities of which we are faithful again and again, day in and day out, speak so much more volume than just one spectacular moment in the lives of those who know us most and engage with us the most. It's my hope and it's my prayer that we remember that and trust that God is at work in us today. And our prayer will continue to be, God, let your kingdom reign. Let your kingdom come. Spread throughout this place. And may that be because you have allowed God to work through our life, through our day-to-day activity and our work. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for... um, this, this, this letter, this, this letter that was written to a church that knew all the issues, that knew everything that was going on. And in some ways, Lord, I can only surmise and imagine and kind of paint the picture a little bit. But Lord, it is a message that still speaks for us today. That Lord, that we can find that uh, you are the God who is faithful and you have called us to live our life in the rhythm of faithfulness and the ins and outs and just the, everything is okay. Lord, this day is for you. This day where there's temptation, Lord, I give it to you. This day where I'm like, hey, I've had it with this person. I'm done with them. Lord, we give that to you. This day where we say, I don't know what this day holds. I don't, they're running together. Heavenly Father, Let it be another day of faithfulness to you. And where possible, Lord, we pray that your spirit works in that in ways that we can't even fully comprehend. And Lord, may you be glorified. May indeed we be surprised by the lives that are changed and affected because of your faithfulness. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast. We hope that the message has inspired you to draw closer to God each day. May God bless you as you serve him today.